we, you know, we can fall into the trap of overlaying our own assumptions about what the person would or wouldn't bring to the role. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Agnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. My guest on today's episode of the Inspire Podcast is Nick Chambers. Nick is a partner at Boyden Executive Search. He brings over 20 years of experience in consulting and a real passion for promoting diversity and inclusion to his work. Nick talks to me about what really goes on during an executive search and what it takes to be successful. And there are a lot of leadership communication lessons to be drawn from our interview. If you have ever engaged a search professional, you'll want to listen because Nick talks about why the candidate you think you want is not the one that you necessarily need. And if you've ever been approached as part of a search or anticipate some point in your career being approached, you'll want to hear what Nick has to say about why so many leaders make bad decisions in choosing jobs that end up resulting in them leaving prematurely and how you can ask the right questions to really determine if the fit is the right one for a lasting, successful role. Enjoy my discussion with Nick Chambers. Nick, great to have you here on the Inspire podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. For those who may not know, your executive search or retain search, as it's mm-hmm. also known as, describe exactly what that is. What does it mean to hire a company to conduct a, a search? So when an organization is hiring uh, an executive recruiter on a retained basis, they are paying for uh, a process that starts with helping the organization figure out what it is that they are trying to achieve uh, as a company, figuring out what uh, or articulating what it is that they're trying to achieve as a company, aligning that to the specific role that they want us to help them recruit for and the type of person who would best uh, serve in that role. And then also the, the, uh, the strategy, the approach for, for going out to find that person. So that's the start of it. And then we facilitate a process of outreach, research, targeted networking, where we are um, scouring the market, so to speak, to find potential candidates and then qualifying those candidates, uh, engaging in discussions with them. Uh, Many times the people we're reaching out to are people who weren't necessarily thinking about making a job change. You've been hired. What happens next to get things rolling for the search and set us up for success? Mm -hmm. So uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, National Health Care Organization that's looking for a new CEO. This is an organization that is deeply embedded in the work that hospitals do, the work that uh, government does, the work that researchers do. 
and the future of this organization, the direction they go, uh, that they take, the person they hire into the role is something that's really important to all of these, these various stakeholders. So at the start of this search, it's really important to get input uh, and support from members of government, members of partner organizations, other funders, uh, the end recipients of, of their work, so that uh, if the time is right, for example, for a transformative leader who's just going to, you know, turn over the apple cart and, uh, and completely shake things up and take them in a new direction. If that's the kind of leader they need, uh, we need to hear that up front. Uh, or if they have just come out of uh, a long period of, uh, of, you know, wonderful, amazing, transformative change that has everyone exhausted, um, uh, perhaps they need someone who's more of a steward who um, you know, still has the right leadership qualities to take the organization forward, but um, their role is more about uh, sustainment and, and pinning things down and, and, and creating some stability. So you'll go out and you'll interview all these stakeholders to yes. find out what happens when you hear competing views. I mean, what happens when you've got the board saying, we need transformation, mm. and then you have the hospital saying, no more change. <laughs> mm-hmm. How do you reconcile those when you make your recommendation for what kind of candidate you want? So I think as an advisor to a client, our role is to uh, bring those conflicts to the table uh, and invite the uh, decision makers to um, assess the extent to which there's more work that needs to be done to get everyone on the same page versus um, uh, setting out on on uh, on one path or the other and attempting to bring people along uh, as they go. Uh, so it's a great opportunity to to help an organization figure out whether this indeed is the right time to go forward and if they have the uh, the right amount of consensus to do so. You go out, you talk to these stakeholders. Can you share a moment with us in in the work that you're doing where you ended up with radically different perspectives? Uh, on what the organization need and or what the ideal candidate mm-hmm. would have. One of the common differences of, of opinion we get uh, when, we, when we do stakeholder consultation can be the extent to which the leader they're looking for should be someone who has a depth of local knowledge. So uh, do we need a Canadian for the role uh, or can we can we and should we be looking internationally? And uh, there are often arguments in favor of, of one or the other. Um, and stakeholders can often be divided when it comes to that question. And, it, and it's, it often comes down to a matter of the relative importance of understanding the, the, the system. You know, so understanding the Canadian healthcare system or understanding the um, the Canadian um, higher education uh, system or understanding the machinations of, of Canadian government versus bringing someone in who provides a uh, fresh perspective, a unique viewpoint that perhaps uh, would be rare among people who work closer to home. Uh, and so there can often be conflict around um, 
the openness to a global search. So in a situation like that, how, when you look at the balance between helping people bring these disparate viewpoints forward and have their discussion, mm. or having to take a position yourself and say, actually, in my experience, we should have a Canadian mm. or the opposite, mm. how do you walk that line? Mm-hmm. So the beauty of, of the executive recruitment process is that uh, we cast a wide net before we land on a single candidate. And so in casting that wide net, it provides an opportunity to say, well, let's, uh, why don't we keep it open and see what kind of people come forward, see what their relative strengths are, um, start to assess what it might take to compensate for the weaknesses um, that a candidate uh, presents. So rather than uh, ruling out a certain uh, direction uh, in advance, let's see who we can find and uh, give ourselves an opportunity to um, refine our thinking uh, as the process uh, progresses. So you you don't need to reach resolution. And you can kind of have this this cognitive dissonance yes. as you proceed because it may be a moot point. You may end up with only one, only an international candidate, for example. Yes. So, okay, so let's turn to that next phase. So you've done the stakeholder consultation. You have, a, you have a, at least the emerging sense of what the role demands and what kind of person will fill it. Now you have to go find these people. Mm-hmm. So how, does that, how do you actually find them mm-hmm. uh, and extract them from their... They're comfortable, happy roles. <laughs> right. So there, it's uh, it's a it's a neat process. It's an exciting process. Um, uh, headhunting uh, has um, can have a negative connotation, uh, but essentially, um, and essentially, it's a process of tapping. So doing research, uh, tapping into our database. And we have an extensive global database of uh, of people we've come in contact with uh, over, you know, hundreds or more uh, searches, uh, both in Canada and and globally. You might say thousands of searches when you look at all of the, you know, the 40 countries that we operate in. Um, And so there's there's research to say, who do we already have in our system? Who's known to us? Um, There is outreach to potential sources. Uh, so I might call you and say, Bart, we're doing a, uh, conducting a recruitment on behalf of this uh, organization. This is what they're trying to do as an organization. This is the kind of person they're looking for. Who do you know who we should be reaching out to? So it's a networking process that doesn't limit, our, doesn't limit us to who immediately comes to mind for us or who we happen to find uh, as we mine our database. Um, but it's relying on our network to access their networks to identify potential people, and then we we start phoning. Right. And then and then meet with them. I mean, I have a lot of my executive clients over the years. They'll tell they'll say this. They'll say, "Oh, you know, I got a call from a search firm. They had a job. We and I, I had a courtesy meeting with them. Mm. Told them I wasn't interested. Happy where I am. It's mm-hmm. come to an end. Mm-hmm. How do you go from that courtesy meeting to Convincing them or interesting them in the position, or is it, or is it a different way? Should we think of it in a different way? Mm-hmm. Take us in there and maybe give us a, give us a, an example of someone you know anonymous 
who you met with recently about a potential role and what happened in that conversation? I'm thinking about one in particular. I reached out to this person and I indicated that their name had come up in discussions about the role. And what kind of role was it? Uh, this was a, uh, a role with the university to uh, lead a, pro a pilot project uh, around um, uh, a new, uh, new department. And uh, so reached out to the person. Uh, we, um, your name came up. Wondering if I, ha if I can have a few minutes with you to describe the role and, and uh, assess your interests. And, uh, and so prior to that, we would have spent a lot of time learning about and defining um, the key aspects of the role, the selling points of the role, um, but also the preparing ourselves for the questions that the person is going to ask uh, about the culture of the organization, about... Uh, why this vacancy has uh, surfaced at this point in time. So has someone retired or uh, did they leave on their own? Were they asked to leave? And, you know, that's a delicate uh, uh, item to address. Or uh, is it a brand new role? And, and why this role at this point in time? So in, and in listening to you, what I'm hearing is that, you know, when you're approaching candidates who are in roles, mm. who are highly qualified, mm. It's almost that they begin interviewing you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, it's, it's not really like a uh, you know they are vetting you on behalf and vetting the role. Is that a fair way of looking at it? A hundred percent. And in fact, that is the ideal situation. So our aim is not only to get someone to sign a contract um, that that kicks off uh, a term of employment. We actually want them to be successful. We want them to stay. Uh, we want them to at least meet the uh, employer's expectations, if not exceed them. So if we have talked them into the role and in some way or another um, caused them to put aside their own intuition, their own needs, their own uh, aspirations, uh, because we've done such a great job of, of playing selling this them. role, selling <laughs> them the role, um, we're actually not doing anyone any favors. So it's influence, but it's a very different kind of influence. Mm -hmm. What would you say when you're sitting there listening to candidates, what are some of the biggest red flags that you listen for that tell you mm -hmm. in that first conversation, this person's probably not someone who should advance in the process? Mm -hmm. I like that question. So it's really important that the candidate uh, comes across as um, being authentic um, and, and truthful. And if there are any signs that they, signals that suggest that they are taking credit for something that perhaps was, taking sole credit for something that was a team effort, that can be a red flag. Um, if we, um, if they seem reluctant to talk about certain phases of their career, um, you know, we know because we're in this business and we speak with lots of people, we know that things can go wrong in the course of someone's career. Um, people can get, people perhaps make, made the wrong choice. Um, you know, something happened in the organization. There was interpersonal conflict. There was, um, you know, something personally uh, that... Um, stood in the way of them giving their, their best effort. There are lots of reasons that, that things don't work out. 
And so we're not we're not looking for people with perfect career trajectories. And that's fascinating because you know, if you if you look say 15 years ago, I think the opposite would have been the case. I know when I started in the corporate world, it was very much, you know, no negatives, <laughs> keep everything positive and make it kind of un you know, immaculate. And right. what I'm hearing is that now it's about authenticity. Yes. And that you're listening, you would rather someone says, look, I had conflict with that executive. I felt I couldn't bring my best effort to the job. And yes. so I left. Yes. Uh, that, that, is that true that that kind Absolutely. of in- integrity and authenticity is important for search firms? Absolutely. Uh, if, you, if you and they both decide that there could be a fit, yes. do you then have those deeper discussions over subsequent interviews? We do. How long is that process? I mean, if I was, if I was being recruited for a C-level position in, mm-hmm. oh, let's say, well, a hospital or, yes. or a medical services company mm-hmm. in Ontario, how long from that first conversation to the point where I got an offer would I expect, should I expect the process to take? So it could be a few months. Mm-hmm. It could be a few months. So one of the things we haven't spoken about, so we've focused uh, a fair bit on the front end. Uh, which is the interaction between the executive recruiter and the candidate. Uh, All of that is leading up to um, the phases, the pieces of the process that are about the uh, client, the organization getting to know the candidates. So let's turn to that. Mm -hmm. How many, uh, once you're ready to present candidates to the organization, how many times would you have met with them already? Uh, two or three times. Okay, so you've met with them, you've had this exploratory conversation, you have the sense that they could be a fit, Their the organization's values and approach are aligned and needs with the client. Talk, talk me through then that process when they, when they have the first meeting. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we present a long list of strong candidates to the client. and, and How often many typically? Could be six to 12, let's say. And so then, uh, and generally in, in my practice, we work with, uh, we work with committees. So the committee, um, you know, if we're hiring a CEO, the committee is, is um, a, a segment of the board, representatives of the board. There may be some staff representatives on, on the committee, maybe not. Um, and so we present that long list to the committee. Um, remind them what the criteria were that they uh, established as um, um, the key indicators of, of the, uh, you know, what, what would, um, the, the attributes that they were looking for. Uh, and then they, we facilitate a process of having them narrow that list uh, to a shorter list of people who they, they would then interview. Uh, and from that point onward, um, there could be two rounds of interviews. There could be three rounds of interviews. Um, we often recommend uh, at least two rounds. Uh, in a first interview, um, and, and I had this experience recently of someone, uh, a candidate who was very polished, uh, very well prepared, um, uh, demonstrated a very high level of energy and enthusiasm and really wowed the committee. And They might have been ready to hire them at that point. <laughs> they could have. Uh, fortunately, there were a few others who had wowed them as well. Um, and, uh, and then in the next pass, and, and I say wow, and, and, and we need to be careful because um, we can be wowed for the wrong reason. 
and, and at that point, what you're looking for is uh, a strong indication that this, this person is a fit and some, some strong indications that they will be uh, successful. So in the next pass, we, um, uh, we interviewed the candidate again and, um, and the person's energy level was, was much lower. Uh, and I've noticed on a number of occasions that in going from the first interview to the second interview, some candidates who perhaps thought that they should be a shoe in become impatient with the process uh, um, or start to demonstrate some um, oh some um, weakness in their in their commitment so it was exciting uh, at first or it was exciting for a while but now that the process has become rigorous the uh, you know there's some cracks in there in, in their enthusiasm and if that's the case we want it we want to be able to, to pick up on that um, and increasingly we want to also move from um, an assessment of attributes to uh, to discussions about what it's actually or exploration of what it's actually going to be like to work together. What ideas does this person have for for the role? What questions do they have that will uh, demonstrate that they've really started to think through what it's going to take to be successful? Yeah, I mean, you can be sold by the candidates. Yes. <laughs> and so, you know, what I'm hearing is that you stretch the process out so that that authenticity has to shine through. Mm. That you can't perform every every time. Yeah, and again, it works both ways. It's a mutual learning process. Um, you know, I don't want to. Um, I don't want to make the connection too closely to dating, uh, but if we were to choose our life partners based on you know a single meeting where you know during which we've each put our, our best foot forward, um, there, there's a lot of risk that things aren't going to turn out the way we thought. There's a TV show for that. It's called The Bachelor, right? Which my wife is a big fan of, and, you <laughs> and know, I am not. <laughs> which uh, I think they say that you know, one of them has out of you know 30 years has ever lasted. As right. A, so that that tells you all you need to. All you need to know. Yes. But um, so when when you're advising, because now you're moving from the role of interviewing to handing over the interview process yes. to this committee or to the board, what what is if there were two pieces of advice you would give mm. or do give on how they can interview successfully, mm-hmm. what would they be? Mm-hmm. Well. So a, a big one, and this is, this is something that more and more organizations are paying attention to, uh, is to be conscious of our biases. And they could be biases that relate to the gender of the person, uh, the age of the person. So, you know, we might be tempted to uh, say that, you know, they're, they're too close to retirement age to, in fact, give this role the energy and the and the commitment that it that it needs. Uh, that's not an assumption that we can make on their behalf. Um, I've heard the comment made that um, you know the uh, they're they're not wanting for money, and uh, you implying know, that they won't be motivated. Implying that they won't be motivated, or implying that 
I'm not sure what the implication, what the you know, what was going through this person's mind, but we you know we can fall into the trap of overlaying our own assumptions about what the person can would or wouldn't bring to the role. Uh, so as much as possible possible, we should be focusing on evidence. What is the evidence in front of us that uh, would predict success? Uh, and if there's a lack of evidence, what else should we be seeking? So let's start with phase one, which is the realization that you need to hire someone. What would be your, if you are working in a company involved in going to market for someone, what would be your most significant piece of advice to them to start the process the right way, if they're going to start the process the right way? Mm-hmm. So it would be to take a really close look uh, an honest look at where the organization is, uh, what the conditions are within that that work environment, that workspace, that team, um, and identify those factors that uh, will lend themselves to uh, to success, and uh, identify that the 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 things that are that need work. So if um, you know, if there's been a lot of turnover among an executive within an, an executive team, and we're hiring someone into that team, uh, what communication do we need within the team? Uh, what work do we need to do to bring the team together? Uh, to what extent should we be engaging that team in the in the recruitment? Uh, what do we need to fix, either before or as that person is joining, to help? Um, pave the way to success. And, and what I'm hearing is, you know, be really honest with yourself. If, yes. you're, if your company is in turmoil, <laughs> recognize that and recognize what you need. I yes. mean, I look at um, Uber, you know, which replaced a very volatile, controversial uh, CEO with someone who, by all accounts, is the antithesis uh, of that. Yes. Uh, someone who's very calm, yes. a unifier, and so it strikes me as an outsider that they probably looked hard at what they needed Absolutely. and were honest in the search process. Absolutely. And to bring into your point earlier in the discussion, bring in a lot of stakeholders, have the courage to ask a lot of people mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've, gone, you've done that. Phase two, you go to the market. Yes. And it may not be, I mean, if you have the dollars, call Boyden. Yes. <laughs> but if you're, let's say you're posting jobs and you're starting to meet candidates, mm-hmm. what would be your most... Uh, important piece of feedback for people doing those initial interviews? I think it's about asking the questions that matter. And anyone who spent any time on LinkedIn uh, has seen lots of advice on um, the best questions to ask someone, and often they're trick questions. Mm. Um, Tell me about your greatest weakness. Well, tell me about (laughs) your greatest weakness, um, or you know, if you had the choice between a bag of chips and a chocolate bar and, uh, you, know, you know, people will craft some these little psychological experiments to try and catch someone or to try and, um, you know, uh, uh, get into their brains, get into their minds, predict something about them based on how they respond to the uh, and I don't think there's a lot of science behind those. So what questions matter most that will help you um, assess whether this candidate has the skills, competencies, experiences, uh, enthusiasm, willingness to commit, 
um, uh, ability to uh, self-reflect, uh, ability to um, uh, um, uh, engage in an authentic conversation about um, where they are in their in their role. So, so, Be- so because and this will come out, I imagine, of that first part of defining who you are as a company. I mean, if you're if you are a company that's been in turmoil. Mm-hmm. And you don't just want a generic question. You want someone who wants to come in and bring order to it, if that's what you've decided that you need. Yes. So a question, a, the question that matter might, might be, how would you feel about coming into an organization where there is chaos? Absolutely. All right. Okay, and then finally, when you begin this, when you match people, when you're br- doing that final phase of interviews, mm. You're down to your short list. Mm-hmm. You've got three candidates who are all highly qualified and who all, because of the process, you have vetted and know that they would at least, uh, in theory, thrive in your organization. Yes. What is the secret to making that final selection? So the secret, to, and from my perspective, is almost always about going back to what you said matters the most going back to uh, what the job requires um, and what kinds of attributes um, would predict, best predict success. The closer we get to a final decision, uh, the more likely uh, we are to allow bias to creep in. The more likely we are to be distracted by uh, our feelings toward a person, whether we like them personally, whether... um, they impressed us. And sometimes the reason someone impresses us has very little to do with what in fact we need them to do uh, in in the role. So um, kind of coming back to first principles. Now, if in the process or if something happens along the way that um, changes the game plan, you know, if, if if there's something that's happened in the organization or if we've learned something or if we've, you know, by speaking to lots of candidates, come to a conclusion or uh, a realization that didn't before. That's fair game. Let's pause, uh, reset the expectations, reset the desired attributes, and then go forward. But always coming back to um, those criteria. And kind of those core beliefs that you've defined at the beginning mm-hmm. as well. Absolutely. I mean, that, well, thank you for taking us through this. I mean, what's what I'm really taking away from it is how important this process is, how important authenticity and clarity of thinking are, and how important it is from a communication standpoint to take the time to define those things uh, and to help your organization define them, to help your candidates define them, so that you kind of move away from the superficial aspects of a job and really get to the essence of whether or not a person will thrive. Yeah. in the unique space that you're you know, putting them into. So thank you for, for sharing us, uh, sharing with us what really goes on in search and, and why you're worth it. For, My pleasure. For, for anyone who is interested in, in, it sounds like Boyden's done a lot of research, uh, is really a leader in this field. Where can and should they go to learn more about Boyden and, and the fine work that you do? Mm-hmm. 
So uh, Boyden.com is our uh, web address, and, and once you uh, arrive at our website, um, you can see where we practice, and you can get in touch with a specific office, uh, whether it's a, an office in, in Brazil or India or the UK, the US. Uh, we have five offices in, in Canada, uh, Montreal, Ottawa, Toronto, Calgary, Vancouver. We do work between uh, across practices, so um, you know, if you uh, almost regardless of who you get in contact you contact with, we can direct you um, uh, to the right uh, right person to help you. Well, Nick, I really appreciate you coming in to chat. Uh, this has been insightful and uh, certainly reinforce why uh, a great search provider and professional is worth it. So, thanks for your time today. My pleasure, Bart. Thanks for the opportunity. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Nick Chambers, who demystified the communication that goes into a successful executive search. I'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, if you haven't already, do take 30 seconds, pull out your phone, go to your browser, rate and review the podcast. I really appreciate it. Not only does it help others find Inspire Podcasts, but on a personal note, I enjoy every piece of feedback and comment that I get. Thanks. Talk to you soon.